you're ready for some word today, then uh, open your Bible, if you brought one, uh, and go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm teaching a series right now called Right Living in a Wrong World. And I've based this off of these two passages, 1 Corinthians 15, 34. The first part of that reads, awake to righteousness and do not sin. So two components, awake to righteousness, that's number one. Number two is do not sin. The order is, is critical. And then I'll remind you again of Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So God is, is present tense at work even in the believer's life, not just for forgiveness of sins, but to enable us to walk in accordance with his will that which brings him pleasure. So if you struggle with acting any kind of old goofy, funky way that you shouldn't act, know this, that God is working in you, giving you the ability and the desire to do what's right. Amen. If you even want to, if you even think about it, there's a reason for that. That's because God's at work inside of you. And uh, so this series, in large part, is about the practical instructions of what it means to walk worthy of our calling. All right. If you're saved, that's a serious thing. That's a, uh, what a privilege, what an honor, what a blessing to be saved, to have a relationship with God, to have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. But we are also instructed not just to have confidence in our eternal position and place with God, but to walk worthy of that calling. And so we're working on our walk, aren't we? We're, uh, we're endeavoring to get our, 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 our walk straight and in line with the calling and in line with who God is. So Ephesians chapter 4, uh, we read last couple of weeks, verse 25, and, and we got rid of that lying spirit. In verse 26, he goes on and, 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 and writes, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. All right, so... So how many know the devil doesn't have place in a person's life unless it is granted to him, right? So the devil's harassing me. Well, he can't actually get you unless you let it happen. Now that can happen both by ignorance and by negligence, but we need to know that he doesn't have free reign and just free course to rule and reign and steal, kill and destroy and all that nasty stuff in the believer's life. However, we do have the right, the ability to give him place. So let's not do it. He says, don't do it. Don't give him place. But this is an interesting uh, instruction here, an interesting command. Did you see it? That it's in, written in command form. Be angry <laughs> and do not sin. Anger is spoken of in, in a command. We're told to be angry. Is that, is that strange? I don't know if anyone uh, came to church today thinking, you know, there's just something missing in my life. <laughs> I mean, everything's going pretty well. I'm just not angry enough. And, and I'm wanting to stir up a little anger. And, and uh, I don't know that we ever have people come forward. I mean, for that, to that end. I mean, people do come seeking peace and, and seeking, you know, of course, healing and other types of things. But never does, do we have a big long line. 
and uh, would you just lay hands on me? I I'm not angry. <laughs> and, and I need to have more anger in my life. But here here's what I'm posing. I want you to at least consider this. You, you might need some. You might need a little more anger in your life. Okay? Now, I realize some are saying, no, that's the opposite. I'm trying to get rid of that. But that's the thing. What you're trying to get rid of, you're probably correct about that because a few verses late, later, he tells us, put away anger. That's the anger you're trying to get rid of because we don't want to be described as angry people. We're just biting people's heads off and just always anger, angry in that sense. But what about this kind? All right. It, 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 it reminds me of, of someone we all admire. His name is Jesus. <laughs> no one was going to say it. I, I, I'm not. <laughs> Jesus, do you know Jesus at times expressed anger? One of those situations was he was ministering one day in the temple, and there was a guy there who had a withered hand. Maybe you've read that story. And, uh, and it was the Sabbath day, so the religious people were all freaking out. Uh, they're, and uh, they're all concerned about what Jesus might do on the Sabbath day. And, and what happened is in Mark chapter four, 3, verses 4 and 5, then he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them, with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch, forth, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. But, but get a picture of this, okay? Many of us try to imagine the face of Jesus. We try, we've had that image in our mind of what he looks like. And, and uh, have you ever had this picture, though, of Jesus angry? because he was in this situation, he looked around at them with anger. So that wasn't a tender face. That wasn't him grinning. He wasn't looking on them with approval. What does the angry face look like? Well, he expressed it that day. And was he sinning? Was this the type of, of anger that Paul wrote that you should put away? No, Jesus wasn't doing wrong. He was, he was angry, and he ought to have been. He was angry, and he was expressing the heart of the Father. But watch, it wasn't that he didn't get his way or someone didn't do something for him. He didn't come marching into his house and start barking orders at everybody, and he's just angry at the world and all. No, no, that's problematic. That's fleshy. That's selfish. Jesus was not that way, and we shouldn't be that way. But what happened here? was he was angry at this hypocrisy. He was angry at these, these religious people who would elevate their rules and customs and regulations over a person's well-being. You had someone there who's got the withered hand, and Jesus is there to bring the power of God, and they're not looking to see, Lord, help this man. Lord, have mercy on this man. May there come healing flow. But they're looking at Jesus saying, what are you going to do? You're going to break our rules. Right? And at that, he was upset. Should we be upset with that kind of thing? I think so. I think we ought to have that same heart. And there are other situations that rightly deserve anger. And, and it's righteous. It's not wrong to do it. Okay? Now, you have to be watchful. 
that you don't start calling every time you're angry, righteous. <laughs> I'm just being like Jesus because I'm right. That makes this righteous indignation. Okay. Whoa, doggy. <laughs> It's very easy for people to slip over in the flesh and attribute it to righteous anger so they, they are guiltless. And I don't want to be just masking my fleshy, selfish anger as being somehow of God because, bless God, I'm right. No. But even with the Lord Jesus, this wasn't a rare exception. He, he was this way on other occasions. One example that many are familiar with is when he went into the temple and saw the buying and selling of all that sacrificial animals. And really, you know, people were taking advantage of the poor and ripping them off. And he saw this and he said, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. But you remember, he went in there and started turning over tables and driving out the animals. And just, uh, I doubt he was smiling when he did that either. <laughs> right? But was he sinning? He wasn't sinning. He, he was righteous in his actions. In fact, you can see when you read that closely, in John chapter 2, that he wasn't just uh, flippant or flying off the handle like we say. He, he actually sat down and observed and made a whip so he could get up. So he's, he's, he's controlled. He has self-control. And he's determining this behavior here requires action more than just, okay, you guys, if you would, just stop. Would you please not do this? We're supposed to be praying here. No, that kind of behavior deserved a little bit of whick. <laughs> Flipping the tables over and driving things out. There's no doubt that he, was, he would have been accused of being wrong. Jesus was accused of being wrong all the time. <laughs> I mean, no, accusation does not equal guilt. Yeah, and, and you know, they called him a drunkard and all kinds of things that, that, that weren't true. And in this case, he was angry. He was righteous when he was doing it. Uh, Romans 12, 9 reads, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. So, so this is kind of our, our focus, our motivation. We want to abhor what is evil. Notice, notice not be kind to what's evil. Not accept all things, including what's evil. No, what's evil, we should abhor. What's good, we should cling to. Okay, those are both true statements, by the way. Not just cling to good and ignore evil. Act like it doesn't exist. Cling to what's good and abhor evil. This is a shift for some of us that we need to embrace inwardly. That we don't look at wrongdoing and say, Oh, uh, you know, it's fine. You know, people, people are people. They're going to, no, if it's evil, I inwardly need to abhor it. Now, what I do with that needs to be measured and spirit-led and I'm, all that kind of stuff. We're not talking about being out of control or being fleshy, but we do need to have an attitude towards wrongdoing that's, that's godly. Okay, if it's evil, I abhor it. I start with me. I do not accept, permit this in any way. All right? Now, now some read this passage and they, they see that this is just saying that you can be angry but not after dark. Right? Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Be angry. Just don't be angry when it's dark outside. Okay? I don't think that's what it's saying. Uh, in fact, Ephesians 4.26, again from the Weast translation, it, it reads, be constantly angry 
with a righteous indignation and stop sinning. Do not allow the sun to go down upon your irritated, exasperated, embittered anger. That's his word, expounding of the word wrath, okay? But be constantly angry. So this seems to be a disposition where we are doing that Romans 12, 9. We're abhorring evil and clinging to good. Say, when do you do that? All the time. That doesn't mean there's always an expression of anger, but it's a constant position. See, we, have, we are choosing to not give place to the devil by being passive with evil. The person who often falls into sin is the one who first tolerates it. It's okay. No big deal. I, it doesn't matter. And that's not the position of the believer. Okay? That, your walk is a little bit crooked if you think that way. And we want to tighten it up and say, no, I abhor this. I'm not going to be passive towards it. I'm going to be spirit-led in my activities. But I'm never going to say, it's okay if God says it's not okay. Because when I do that, even if it's in someone else's life, that doesn't mean I'm forcing someone or trying to make someone behave. That doesn't do any good. But I'm not, I'm not allowing it to be okay within my own heart, within my own thinking. I'm saying, nope, wrong, wrong, wrong. I resist it. I abhor it. Even if it's happening in your life, say, I'm the one doing it. That's why it's even more important to start with, I abhor that. I abhor it in me. Not about judging other people. It's about saying, it's about, you know, calling a spade a spade or a club a club or a heart a heart or, or whatever. Uh, it's about calling things what they really are and not just embracing them. Okay. Let's go on. Are you good with that? Everybody, everybody sufficiently angry? I don't want to spend my whole message on that <laughs> because we can have a line up front. Anger. I fill them up. I fill them up. All right, I'm kidding about that. I don't see any examples of that in Scripture. Uh, laying hands on for people for anger, but uh, to get it, I mean. <laughs> but verse 28, uh, Ephesians 4:28. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Okay, this is another one of those odd command. Uh, commands given to believers. Remember the, last week we talked about the, the person who lies. You say, why would you tell a Christian not to lie? They don't lie. But apparently sometimes we need to be told that. This also is in that category. He said, stop stealing stuff. <laughs> what are you thinking? We don't steal. We're saved. We're believers. Well, apparently some Christians, especially those who had a history of theft, they stole before they came to the Lord. Apparently that habit continued with some. And so he's exhorting them and telling them to quit. You got to stop stealing from others and get a job. <laughs> right? Is that, that what he's saying? Think about the contrast in all these passages, what he's talking about. We could say, you know, we know this. For the believer, you went from darkness to light. We went from hate to love. We went from uh, lying to telling the truth. Here's another one. We could say it this way. We went from being takers to being givers. We went from taking from people to giving to them. 
That's the true nature, the inward condition of the truly saved person. They are no longer takers by nature, meaning I'm going to take from you what belongs to you and take it as my own possession. No, that's absolutely contrary to my nature in Christ. But what, is, what are we all led to do? If, you, if, if someone just spent time in fellowship with the Father, I think more and more they'd become like him in this way is they would be seeking to give. They would want to give and give and give and not take. But this is a real issue. Some, they had Christians in the Ephesian church who they used to steal and they got saved and they're still tempted with and acting on stealing. They're still taking things that don't belong to them. Okay? If that was true with them, possibly it's true for some of us. We got, we got thieves in the house. What kind of people go to life church? Well, <laughs> I, I mean, it's not who we are by nature, but if that's you, in some way, we want to clear it out so our walk is straight, worthy of our calling. To take a right turn, if you would, to the book of 2 Thessalonians, it's just a, a short trip. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and I want you to notice in verse 10 here, th chapter 3 and verse 10, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, notice the walk again is mentioned, it's a disorderly walk not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. All right? Uh, so here, here, here again, we have an instructions to people who don't work, or not really don't, but won't. You see that instruction? How many know there's a difference between someone looking for employment, looking for a job, and someone who's refusing to work? Okay. Well, what did he say about the person who won't work? They shouldn't eat. Say, that's cruel. No, that's godly. He's saying that. What happens if you continually feed someone who won't work? They will continue to not work and mooch off of others. And he said, for the Christian, don't you guys do that. Amen. 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 I, I know uh, from, uh, from others telling the story that, I, I don't know, I'm not, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to all these levels, but apparently a lot of college students um, qualify for welfare when they don't need it. But they qualify for it. Right? <laughs> And, but the thing is, if you're a Christian and you can just get free money, do you take it? I'm not going to answer that one out loud. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm just telling you, if I was in that situation, I wouldn't. If I didn't need it, if I wasn't starving or whatever or out on the street and and, and, and if, I, if I could work and I just thought, well, hey, I'm not making a ton and I could get some free money, I wouldn't do that to my faith. I'm a believer. I'm not going to make myself think that way. Let myself become dependent on others. Even though it may be legal and it may not be breaking any rules or anything like that. Sometimes the rules are dumb. 
I mean, they're not helpful to a society. We have a government with a lot of corruption, even though we're thankful for our land. Not everything that's legal should be done. Hallelujah. Have faith in God, my friends. <laughs> but I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> uh, but I want to tell you this, that work is God's idea. You see it in multiple scriptures, the two we just read. But from the beginning of the, of the book, you read, God gave Adam and Eve a job. It was before a curse. But people sometimes interpret work as being a curse, like by itself. And, and no, doing something productive is God's idea. Amen. Working is God's idea. Say, I can't wait to heaven. It's for heaven. It's going to be an eternal vacation. Well, it might feel like that on some level because there'll be no pain or whatever, anything whatsoever. But we're going to still work. We're just not going to play, you know, where they play the harp on the cloud. <laughs> some people think that of heaven. They think, oh, boring. Totally. I would be bored with that too. We're going to have responsibilities and assignments from God. None of it's going to be grievous though. We're not going to be putting bumper stickers on our golden chariot or whatever. Uh, you know, I owe, I owe. So off to work I go. To all eternity, I'm trying to get out of debt or something like that. No. Everything will be fulfilling and satisfying and joyful. But people interpret work by, sometimes by Genesis 3.17, where the Lord said, Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And that is in the earth. And that's why a lot of work is very burdensome. It's toiling. It's, you know, hard. But take that curse away. Work is God's idea. Amen. And he wants people who are thieves to get a job. And we think of theft in sometimes just a real blatant way. And I understand you can, uh, just in a real blatant way. But sometimes this happens in, in other ways that is not so, you know, in your face. But we still allow the, these thought processes to exist. Now, let me say this um, about busybodies. He said, don't, don't be the kind of person who doesn't work, but you're just meddling in other people's affairs. You're just a busybody. Isn't that what often happens? When people don't have a purpose, they don't have work for their life, even if you don't need a, you know, nine to five job or something like that, find something to put your hand to. Work. Even if it's not paid work, but work. We're designed to do things. If not, we're tempted to become busybodies. We go around and meddle in other people's affairs. Uh, it means to be busy about useless matters, doing everything they ought not do. They meddle in the business of others and pry into their domestic affairs. That's the busybody. That person needs to get a job. <laughs> Hallelujah. And even say, well, but we're in the cursed earth. I know it's not going to be as good as heaven, but you can still be doing something that God has created you to do, gifted you to do. There's still fulfillment and satisfaction and abundant provision that is associated with it. But I was thinking about, uh, just like we talked about different forms of lies, what different forms of theft can take place? Okay, well, first of all, there's, there's the deceit type of, type of stealing where, where you're using trickery and deceit. You're hiding it. It's embezzlement. 
It's, uh, it's Judas. <laughs> Remember Judas? He was one of the original 12. He not only betrayed the Lord, but before, long before he betrayed the Lord, he was stealing. I mean, no, long before people do big things, they're doing smaller things. Yeah. And, and, and it, it, remember the day when Jesus uh, was, well, the woman poured the expensive perfume on Jesus and Judas got all in a huff about it. Ah, I can't believe he wasted this. And uh, you can see the spirit of Judas, if you will, on people who are always complaining about how other people spend their money. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> In John 12, 6, it reads, This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take whatever, take what was put in it. So the treasury for Jesus Ministries Incorporated, right? Uh, they had, the, they had their, their money box. Obviously, there was money in it, and Judas would kind of skim from the top, right? He would take some. He couldn't take it all, otherwise that would be known. Easily, easily caught, but he would take some of it, okay? That's still a temptation that people have today at work, stealing supplies from their work or actually stealing cash, you know, uh, what, what do you call that, off the till? Uh, and uh, they, sometimes they, that, that's, that's a form of theft or not doing the job that they're paid for. They're being asked to do a job, paid to do that job, and they're given it less than all that they can give. Or uh, people are being paid for a job and they sit there on their social media and uh, they're, they're doing that kind of stuff, being paid. Someone's paying you for time and they're doing that. That could be a form of theft. Anybody wish you didn't come to church today? <laughs> Just trying to fix our walk. No, no condemnation, but quit it. That's what he said. He said, if you used to steal... That's a form of stealing. Don't steal anymore. In other words, now you're saved. So don't do that anymore. You come up. Your calling is high. Let your lifestyle match that. Let it come up to a, to a higher place. But wasting company time is a, is, is a form of this. There's also theft that is, you know, in your face, blatant. It's called robbery. You know, when someone uh, holds you up or takes by force something, that's uh, that's a type of, um, of theft that is uh, definitely ungodly, we, something we shouldn't be a part of. But I find it interesting in all these things that it kind of starts as, with us as children. You know, children will battle each other and they'll take toys. They'll say, it's mine. It's mine. It doesn't matter if it's their siblings or a friend. They just take it and they think, because I saw it, I have the right to take it. But that's what theft is. It's taking what, some, what belongs to someone else. Now, if children aren't adequately taught and trained when they do that, then we don't just laugh and say, oh, isn't that cute? <laughs> See, it might be cute when they're three, not cute when they're 13. Definitely not cute when they're 21, when they're in jail, or something like that. But they steal little things, and then later they might take bigger things and break the law, or they might steal someone's spouse. You know, that's called adultery, but that's just theft, right? That's taking what belongs to someone else. Or they might, uh, they might run for office. 
and become professional thieves of the taxpayer. And you say, oh, you're just, make, you're just joking now, aren't you? I'm not joking. I'm th I think that same spirit gets in, in when people have power, they think I can take from you and give to you. And, and call it student bailout or something like that. It's still, it's still stealing. Really. It's that same spirit. It's just that doesn't belong to you. You can't take it from someone. Even, though it, even if it's legal or whatever. Or not legal. <laughs> you know, either way. I don't want to have that thinking in myself where I'm taking from one and giving it to someone else. Hallelujah. You know, the scriptures also speak about, I'm just finishing up here just for today, but uh, the scriptures also speak about stealing from God. And uh, over in Malachi, many are familiar with that passage. In Malachi chapter 3, he, he, he references, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Someone said, well, that's Old Covenant. I know it is, but, but, but think about this. Is it possible, that even the concept, that someone, that one of us could, is this conceptually possible that you could take something that belongs to God and use it for yourself? And would that also be called theft? It is called theft. And so it's not blatantly taken from someone else, but you almost, wanna, you almost wonder, which one's worse? <laughs> me taking from you or me taking from God? Hallelujah. <laughs> but he, say, he references there, you can do this in tithes and offerings. In other words, I didn't go up to heaven and reach my hand in the money bag. But what he said, you ought to have given, you ought to have put back into my hand, and you didn't, he would call that theft. Hallelujah, hallelujah. In the New Testament, that's referred to as robbing temples. Again, Romans 2, 20, 22. You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Meaning it's taking what's holy and, and, and using it um, for profane things. It's, it's the concept of when Jesus was challenged one day about paying taxes, and, and he said, show me the coin. He said, whose, whose picture is on there? He said, Caesar's. And he said, what did he say? Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, but render unto God that which is his. In other words, if something belongs to God, you need to give it to him. Pay your taxes, even if you don't like them. <laughs> Pay your taxes and give to the Lord what belongs to him. What if I don't give to the Lord what belongs to him? Well, maybe that's that same spirit. That's that same issue. Maybe I'm not robbing the bank or stealing money from my neighbor or, or, or stealing at work or something like that. But maybe there's things that the Lord has called holy and he says, I want that. You need to dedicate that to me. You need to give that to me. You and we said, no, 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 no. Is, is, that, the, is that thievery? Yeah. Hallelujah. And so when you read these scriptures, and I'm finishing, everybody relax. The Lord is gracious and merciful. <laughs> when we read these scriptures, we see this concept. He said, let him who stole never steal no more, but rather let him labor, get a job. Why? Well, so you don't have to steal other people's stuff. Well, 
you can see that a little bit, but specifically he said, let him labor so that he may have to give. This is the difference. When someone gets saved, they go from being a taker to a giver. And he said, I want you to get a job. I want you to work. And the purpose for your working is to give you seed. Is it so that you will have an ability to give to others? See how the mentality is so different from the natural world and the, the fallen world. We think I'm working for me. I'm going to work. I'm going to put in my time so I have money for me. And our thought is always me first. And he said, that's not the thought of the, of the new covenant believer. When you work, you're doing so, so you can be a blessing to others. Amen. Different mentality, huh? We'll say, well, if, I, if I'm working to give, how am I going to live? Apparently, God sees your giving as sufficient basis and foundation for him to supply all of your need. Amen. For him to bring an abundant supply for all the things that you need. Remember the scriptures talk about seed and bread? He gives seed to the sower and bread to the to the eater, bread for food, all right? And, and, and if we think everything that comes to me is, is for my eating, we're missing a kingdom principle. Some of it comes to us for eating and some of it comes to us for giving, Amen. yeah? But this is the shift, the thief. He said, you need to, hey, thieves, you guys who used to steal, used to, and now you got saved? Go get a job and start giving. <laughs> giving? They're used to taking. But now you're saved, and so this is a different mentality. Hallelujah. It's not selfish in, in motivation. Now, how many know if we get, it's like uh, Mark Hankins says, the, the Lord told me if I would become addicted to giving, he would support my habit. <laughs> and that guy, and he lives that way. He totally lives that way. He just gives, 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 gives. And he's extremely well off, wealthy. He keeps giving it away and it keeps coming back. That's a kingdom mindset. Why would someone in any of these forms steal? Why, why would someone take what doesn't belong to them? Can I answer that in a real, you know, strong way? Lack of faith in God. Why would I take what's yours for me? Because obviously I don't believe that God will meet my need in his way. I don't have confidence that he will supply, so I'm going to aid him. By taking when I see opportunity, stealing from other situate people. But you see, that's all that is done, and it's a direct assault on God's plan to bless us. He's not saying, don't steal, just be happy with being poor. No, don't steal, work so you can give, and that's where the blessing of God lives. But why would I want to take from someone else? It is my lack of trust in God as the provider. And this, say, how do I correct my, my thievery? I mean, I can repent and you can and change inwardly in an instant. How do I correct that when I'm, you know, I'm tempted to just take here and there? Here's how you do it. You meditate on God's word of provision, his promise of blessing, his abundant nature of prosperity, how he wants to fill your cup and run it over, not make you scrape through and barely make it through life, living in debt. That's not who he is. But if we will fill our heart with the goodness and plenty and bountiful nature of our good and faithful God, that he will supply our need and exceed the need. 
then why would I even think about having to take something from someone else, let alone my lack of love for them? But just my, my character, why would I even violate that? God's going to take care of me. He's going to get the things that I want and need in this life. I choose to trust him and not trust what I can manipulate or what I can take from someone else. I purpose to be a giver. How about you? I want to be a giver, not a taker. I want the hallmark of my life not to be summed up in just, in just the things that I have, but how that, but if, in, if anything, how I got them. How many know the Lord is not troubled with people having things? It's all about how they came to you. If it was in a dishonest way, man, that's not worth it. But if it came through you walking with God and trusting him to provide and you're a generous person just like he is, then I tell you, have at it. Uh, some people will criticize you for it. Judas totally will. You should sell that truck. You should, give, you should give that to the poor. Well, maybe you got the truck because you do give to the poor. Maybe you put God first and while they're all troubled about material things, you're just worshiping God and he's blessing you. Amen. Amen. But this is the word for today. This will help our, our walk. This will help us be consistent with who we are in Christ. He made us to be this way. We're, we're givers. We're not takers. And that's what we're going to yield to. Amen. Why don't you say it out loud with me? Say, I believe, I believe that God in me, God in me enables, me enables me to be a giver, be a giver and not a taker. Not a I yield to him. Not to doubt and unbelief and to the flesh, I yield to the spirit of giving. That is the spirit of God in me. And he provides my every need. I'll never be without. I'll never live with lack. For my good shepherd leads me into plenty. Amen. Father, I thank you for working in here right now by your spirit.